Breakthrough News. I'm Rania Kalik, and you're listening to Dispatches. I am joined by, as you can see, author and journalist Gideon Levy. He's joining me from Tel Aviv um, as escalations continue across Israel-Palestine. Gideon is going to help us make sense of what's taking place. Gideon, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, so I guess let's start with how we got here. Um, can you explain to our listeners and viewers what led to this point? What accounts for this escalation now? Is it a result of internal Israeli politics and government formation dynamics? Did Netanyahu seek escalation? There is nothing more expected than this, even though it was not expected at this stage of time. But 53 years of uh, military brutal occupation and 15 years of uh, siege over Gaza, which is the biggest cage on earth, are enough of a reason for having those explosions periodically from time to time. And here comes again the time. And uh, I don't see that it will be the last time, by all means not. Hmm. But is there like what? So there's been an attempt, right, for, you know, Netanyahu's facing these corruption charges. Um, He hasn't managed to form a coalition. Do you see this as like a political game that at least the initial part of the escalation, it's kind of taken on a new form now. But initially with these escalations, was there a political agenda behind it? I, um, I will leave the benefit of doubt about it because we had those uh, escalations before Netanyahu, and we will have them after Netanyahu, before his trial, after his trial. I think uh, it's a little bit narrow-minded to believe that Netanyahu can play with it as much as he wants. It plays to his ends, no doubt. Politically, it serves his interests. But I don't think that he really planned it. And in any case, it would have come because... For how long can you keep two and a half million people in a cage? Right. I mean, so what is like, so how do you, do you think the, so there's a couple different things going on. There's the escalation in Gaza, which you're kind of saying was inevitable. This was going to happen no matter what, no matter who's in charge. It's just natural. But then there's also an escalation taking place inside um, Israel's, you know, Israel proper, if you will, uh, where you have these Palestinian uh, citizens of Israel that are protesting. Netanyahu's declared a state of emergency. They've diverted border patrol, border police from the West Bank to come help suppress these protests. Um, and so why do you see, like, what this is different than what's happening in Gaza, but it ha- also is connected to it. But are you surprised by these developments in a place like Lod, for example? Has this ever happened? Why are Palestinian citizens of Israel rising up now? First of all, it happened already once in the year of 2000, and it happens now, and it's again not surprising, even though nobody expected it to happen now. Uh, one should understand that Israel is doing anything possible to divide the Palestinian people into fragments, and it does so quite successfully. The division between the Palestinians in the West Bank and the Palestinians in Gaza totally disconnected the division between Palestinians in the West Bank and Gaza and the Palestinians in Israel 
and obviously the Palestinians in the diaspora. Even between the Palestinians of Jerusalem and the Palestinians of Ramallah, there is a wall. So into this division, the Palestinians start, try to remind us that still there is some solidarity and still people in Israel cannot remain indifferent when the border police is uh, penetrating violently and brutally into Al-Aqsa Mosque on one of the holiest days of the Muslim world. Can, can you, I guess, give me an idea of what do you expect the reaction of Israeli Jews to be to seeing Palestinian citizens of Israel uh, protesting like this in such an unprecedented way? I hope it will be a short uh, wave, but it will leave some signs, obviously, and scars. I think that uh, the Israeli uh, Jews mostly are angry, disappointed, and as usual, victimizing themselves and playing as if all this is for nothing. Because most of the Israeli Jews, let's uh, face it, are living in a total denial about what's happening next to them among the Palestinian community and among their rights. And therefore, when you live in denial and then something happens, you say, oh, how can it be? What did I do wrong? So you did so many things wrong, and so now it's time to pay for them. Is there any community of Israeli Jews left who remain supportive of Palestinians or who are shocked by what's happening and are opposed to it? Or are you kind of one of the lone wolves in this scenario? Both. I am a lone wolf, but in the same time, I can't say I'm the only Israeli by all means. Not. There are still many Israeli Jews, less than ever, less than ever, but still there are many Israeli Jews and many young people who are really ready to sacrifice, who are really ready to join the struggle in, in some ways, who are really um, feeling solidarity with the Palestinian people. Even though I must say that if you learn what happened in South Africa, I guess in South Africa there were more Jews, more members of the Jewish community who really shared the struggle with the black community rather than uh, Israeli Jews who are over six million here. Very few of them are really treating the Palestinians as equal human beings and believing that they deserve the very same national rights in this piece of land. What happened to the former Israeli left? Because there was once a bigger Israeli left, and now it's really, the country seems to be consumed more and more by, by right-wing ideologies. It's an ongoing process which uh, started somewhere, somewhere in the year of 2000 when then Prime Minister Ehud Barak came back from Camp David declaring that there is no Palestinian partner. And then came the Second Intifada, which was very violent. And many, many people lost their hope. Many, many people lost the belief, the faith in peace. And what is now, those are only remains of the peace camp that we had 20, 25 years ago which shows you also something about how solid it was from the first place, because if those things were enough to break the peace camp, so it wasn't worth so much 
from the first place. And can you describe the various, I guess, factions of the Israeli right? What makes like what? Who are they? There's there's different sides of it. There's the more religious factions. There's the more secular factions, and are they dominating in government? First of all, you have to uh, realize that the majority of Israeli public opinion is right wing. Uh, our right wingers, no doubt about this. Yes, they differ, but when it comes to the basic questions, namely continuing the occupation continuing the apartheid and believing in the Jewish superiority, then you have an agreement, a consensus almost from wall to wall in Israeli society. Very few people will really uh, um, stand against it. Some of them will deny it, will say, no, it's not apartheid. No, it's not Jewish superiority. But finally, they live in peace with everything that is happening. In the margins, there is a minority of leftists, as I say, and among the right-wingers, there are those who believe in formal democracy and those who believe in less democracy. There are the Jewish Orthodox who do all this on behalf of religion, and there are those who do all this on behalf of wrong beliefs in security, in false dangers, and there are those who are just racists. Uh, and there are almost levels of, of being right-wing. Not all of them are extremists. There are some of them who are ready to go for violence. Some of them who dream about a state without Palestinians at all. And some of them who believe that we can live with them even though they will never get their rights. So it's a whole mixture of beliefs, but there are too many things in common mm. among all those. And let's move to Gaza now, because, you know, obviously this war on Gaza is escalating. It seems like it's not going to end anytime soon, at least. Um, it's almost, uh, I believe now it's been reported at least 53 Palestinian deaths in Gaza, 14 of whom are children. Um, there's been a handful of deaths in Israel as well. So how do you see this particular situation evolving and developing, do you think it will be a long war? I don't think so, unless there will be some catastrophe. I mean, if the, if things will not get out of, of control, you know, one bomb can all of a sudden kill uh, dozens of people and then we have a new game. But if things will continue like this, I think it will last another few days and that's it. Mm. And then, uh, you know, until the, the next uh, time, uh, there will be some kind of settlement which will not solve anything, obviously. And uh, in one, two years, we'll meet again or maybe even less. Is the Hamas uh, military reaction different than before? In They're your opinion? all the time. It's, it's not a question of opinion. It's a question of, of facts. They're improving all the time. And I have the feeling that this time... They even surprised the Israeli army in their capabilities. And we have to understand that we do anything possible to limit their capabilities. And here they are with quite impressive capabilities. I mean, yeah, you're sitting in Tel Aviv. You see the results of that. Um, they've been yeah. able to uh, shoot rockets much further into Israel than they have in the past. Oh. And uh, uh, with higher frequency... Um, higher numbers, and it's. I've seen the photos. It's and images coming out. It's done quite a bit of damage. It's like almost looks like it's raining fire. 
Absolutely. Uh, which does that have, does that have an impact on Israel's calculations for how much further they're willing to go, the Israeli government? I'm not sure because finally uh, Israel's capabilities uh, are 1,000 times better. There's no room for, for comparison at all. Uh, this is, uh, I mean, the Qassam is one of the most primitive weapons on earth while there is almost no weapon on earth that Israel does not possess. It's, it's, it's uh, no room for comparisons. I guess Israel will be more careful because Israel is more vulnerable. For us Israelis to be a few days in shelters is something that Israelis will not be able to handle while the Palestinians in Gaza are used to it for, for many years now. But I don't think it's a major calculation because, because the fact is that the Israeli army is continuing and quite massively. Do you think that the rockets from Gaza, uh, did that go into the decision-making to try to prevent the sort of, um, to try to prevent the Jerusalem Day marchers from provoking inside Palestinian neighborhoods on Monday? Uh, sorry, I... I, I, I uh, no, no worries. That. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was asking about, do, do you, you know, some are suggesting that the rocket fire initially yes. was in response to the, the escalation in Jerusalem. Do you Absolutely. think that that rocket fire had an impact on Israel's decision to block the Jerusalem Day March from continuing as it usually does every year? Yeah, uh, but this was about Jerusalem. At this stage, Gaza was not uh, still active. It was about Jerusalem because Jerusalem was uh, in a very explosive situation. And then they decided in the last minute the decision that they could have taken uh, 24 hours before and save many violent uh, actions. But uh, it had nothing to do with Gaza because Gaza got into the picture only later. Yeah. I mean, the armed factions in Gaza, like you were talking about, have hit Israel probably worse than ever from their standpoint. Um in a way, do you think that the, the decision by the, by Netanyahu, by the Israeli military um, to escalate has backfired? Just looking at the number of Israelis, I mean, school's been canceled, people are running to bomb shelters, people are getting injured. Um, does that backfire uh, in, this, in this case? It kind of does. I mean, if you look at the reaction, for example, uh, among Arabs around the Middle East who are watching, you know, uh, they're celebrating. Gaza looks very strong to them. This is they don't ever see missiles rain over Israeli cities. Um, so, in that sense of kind of like making Israel look weak, does the, is that does that backfire for the Israeli government? This escalation. Look, first of all, uh, nobody will win this war like nobody did win the former wars. Right. Each party will claim for victory, and it will be a false victory in any case. Because you can't win such a war. Mm -hmm. What does it mean, a victory here? So yes, Israelis are now for two days under, under attack, but with very, very few casualties. And if it will be only a few days, so what? I mean, it will be forgotten. Uh, Palestinians are paying much heavier price in any term. Right. And uh, both will claim that they uh, they won, but it is really ridiculous to claim so for both sides. And Israelis, I mean, they watch this happen. They really see like a high-rise apartment buildings demolished, and that's justified. 
all across Israeli media? Like, is any, there's no one questioning whether that's okay or legitimate, whether these, tar- are they even talking about Palestinian child casualties? Very little, if at all, for sure not in the mainstream media, for sure not. They show it, and most of the Israelis, I think, um, I don't want to say are happy to see it, but for sure are very proud to see it. They want to take revenge. Hatred and anger are very deep. And there is some bloodthirst in Israel to see more and more casualties in the other side. Nobody can deny it. And I mean, you've watched these wars play out over the last couple of decades now. Um, has that desire for revenge increased over Absolutely. time? What explains that? Desperation. No hope for any other way. No hope. Will it be right or wrong, but no hope for a solution. No hope for any kind of coexistence living together. And when all those look so uh, so much not promising, so you start to be angry at the other side and put the blame on the other side. Israelis, Israelis hardly take any blame on themselves. They will always blame only, only the Palestinians. You will never hear an Israeli say, okay, we had also our share. Not to speak about the fact that you can't even compare, there is no symmetria between the blame, the responsibility, the crimes of Israel and the Palestinians. So that brings me to the issue of, I mean, the the role of the U.S. government. Um, I mean, obviously the U.S. government, if they wanted to, could do more to stop this. And so far, I mean, I'm sure there's stuff happening behind the scenes, but they're not, they don't seem to be telling the Israelis to, to, to de-escalate or at least threatening them to, that they have to de-escalate. But I guess my question is, you know, in the U.S., um, there are these sort of rising political figures in the progressive sphere of democratic politics. People like Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, what we call the squad in the U.S. And they've been, you know, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, people who openly support BDS inside the U.S. Congress. Um, and they've all been commenting on this, and they've used very harsh words about what Israel's doing, not just in Jerusalem, but in Gaza. Does this kind of rhetoric, and it's just rhetoric so far, but does this kind of rhetoric when American politicians speak up this way have any impact on Israeli decision-making? Is it even, does it even matter at all in the context of what Israel decides to do? Much less than it seems. Mm. First of all, Israel found itself a new partner, a new supporter in the United States, the Evangelics. Mm. They are the new hope of Israel, and they are tens of millions, as you know, quite powerful and quite rich. Secondly, Israel learned, and very rightly so, throughout the years, that condemnations and threats and words play nothing. Because as, ma- as long as they are not followed by real actions, they are hollow, they are meaningless. So the State Department can condemn Israel and the White House can condemn Israel as long as it will not be followed by deeds. Israel couldn't care less. Now, you say that the, the United States could change or stop Israel. The United States could put an end to the occupation within months. But why would the United States do so? 
Why does it serve? I'm not sure it does serve the American interest. And it's all about the interests. Mm. If someone like Barack Obama, whose heart was in the right place, did nothing to stop Israel, but really nothing, so why would someone else do? So here and there, there will be tensions and better periods and worse periods. One thing must be very clear. As long as it's only rhetorics, Israel knows to ignore it and to do whatever it wants. Why do you think the U.S. government is so afraid of insulting Israel? I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but there's this video that went viral of the State Department spokesperson, Ned Price, and he was asked by a reporter at the Daily Briefing if uh, he can condemn the, the killing of Palestinian children, and he couldn't do it. He, you could tell he was trying really hard to use the right words to not insult the Israelis. Um, and, you know, he went on to, he was asked, do the Palestinians have a right to self-defense? And he, you know, he kind of rode circles around that question as well. He wouldn't touch it. So what is it? What is it about? What, why do you think that the U.S., if it has so much control, why is it so afraid to, maybe not afraid is the right word, but they're so resistant to, to they hesitate so much to insult the Israelis? And we are dealing here with one of the more hostile administrations toward Israel. Yeah. This is not Donald Trump. This is Joe Biden. And still, for years, I'm trying to understand it. And I, I'm not sure anyone can explain it, fully explain it. There is obviously the power of the Jewish lobby, which nobody can deny. And, and it's really powerful, even though it's less powerful today than before. It seems like it goes beyond that, though, right? Like It is beyond this. It cannot be the only explanation. Right. There are also the interests, American interests. Israel is serving American interests quite a lot in many ways. And uh, it doesn't, and I mean, many times Israel and the United States are talking about uh, shared values. And I'm afraid those shared values are not the most positive ones. <laughs> yeah. The values that they share, yes. Uh, Colonialist, uh, colonialistic and imperialistic values are not exactly someone to be proud about. Right. And by the end of the day, it's also lack of guts of any American president to, because they all know the truth. Yeah. All of them knew the truth. And all of them know that it's dangerous for the world, dangerous even for the United States. Even the United States is paying a price for this automatic blind support to Israel in terms of its image, in terms of its relations with the third world, with the Muslim world. But nobody has the courage to, to really make a shift, continue to support, why not support Israel, but at least condition it with some demands. It's totally unconditioned. Israel can do whatever it wants and it knows that the check will arrive by the end of the month. You know, it kind of reminds me of the U.S. Uh, response to Saudi Arabia uh, in so many ways. The U.S. continues to fund this horrific war on Yemen that it doesn't actually get any benefit from. The U.S. doesn't really benefit from the war on Yemen. It's a very Saudi local right. issue. Um, and Saudi Arabia seems to be able to do whatever it wants. It's, I mean, so as far as the internal dynamics of Saudi Arabia, it's probably, it's a much worse place than Israel in many ways. Um, you know, it chopped up a journalist a couple of years ago 
the U.S. didn't really respond with any real action other than just rhetorical criticism. Um, and Saudi Arabia plays like kind of that similar role, right? Of it's a it, it shares the values of the U.S. of imperialism, and it it, it does do it does push U.S. interests in the region. Um, and I guess that that kind of becomes something that is more important to America than whatever internal atrocities might be taking place. Uh, but I bring up, I raised Saudi Arabia because I want to ask you um, it, just to broaden this, this question out to the region a little bit more, not just to Israel-Palestine. You've had these normalization deals between Israel and the UAE and Bahrain. Um, has this, you know, do you think this has made any difference in, in when Israel bombs Gaza? Like, has it made it easier for Israel to bomb Gaza to have normalized relations with some of these Gulf states? Or does it not matter at all? It should have made it harder, not easier, because I would expect uh, those countries to stand behind the Palestinians to pay some kind of solidarity. Until this very moment, I didn't hear anything from them. Mm-hmm. They continue to, to ignore the Palestinians and to play with their destiny and to, and to leave them alone for their own destiny, even not a condemnation until now. So this game is a very corrupted game with a lot of lip services, but this time we didn't even see lip services. Because by the end of the day, we have to realize that the Palestinians were left alone. Everyone had left them, the world, the West, the United States, and the Arab world. They even don't pay the, the lip service. I'm sure that the Arab League will meet in the coming days and get some resolution calling Israel to get out of, of, of those violent actions. But it's nothing, and Israel knows it's nothing. Uh, let's see how Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates will react. I would expect them to react by now already. Until now, we didn't hear anything from them. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> and then, you know, to again broaden it out a little bit to the region some more, um, and this is really just about speculation, but the Israelis and the in Hezbollah have kind of been on an impasse for the last couple, few years as well with sort of these tit-for-tat exchanges um, from the, usually in Syria. Um, but there's always the potential, right, for escalation. Um, how, do, like, is Hezbollah on these, is, is it something that's discussed in Israeli society? How is it, how is Hezbollah discussed? Um, and do you foresee some sort of conflict in the near future um, that everybody's, because I mean, I, so I live in Lebanon most of the year and, Every single day, Israel is in the news. What the Israelis are saying and doing, I mean, Israel violates Lebanese airspace almost every day uh, with drones or whether it's to bomb Syria. Um, it's just a part of daily thinking and daily life. Even as there's this economic collapse happening in Lebanon, the conversation is always dominated by, oh my God, everyone's scared there's going to be a war with Israel, like all the time, regardless of what political... Um, ideology or party that they align with. So I guess my question to you is, how is Lebanon and Hezbollah talked about and discussed in the Israeli popular imagination? There is a certain fear from Hezbollah. And even now people are discussing it, comparing uh, the potential power of Hezbollah vis-a-vis -vis Hamas. Look, those Hamas were 20,000 
at, at their best, there are 20,000 uh, warriors at their best, living under siege, without a state, without nothing, and look at their capabilities. Imagine yourself, Hezbollah, who has a state, who has Iran behind them, who is not under any siege. And we know that what they have in their uh, capacities can be extremely dangerous for Israel. So people are quite scared of Hezbollah, I must tell you. And uh, I'm not sure that Israel will dare to uh, pull the, the string too long with them, too much with them. But, you know, it's unpredictable, but I believe that one day we'll face also this front. We yeah. faced it before, and Israel will have to face it again, because all those weapons that Hezbollah collected will be used one day. Right. And it's not just weapons, right? It's also training. I mean, Hezbollah operated in Syria alongside the Russians, who have a very well-organized and experienced one of the biggest armies in the world. Um, right. And that that kind of, uh, you know, inter that kind of ability to learn how to do offensive operations in a more conventional style war definitely gives Hezbollah a huge new kind of level of deterrence, I would imagine, than they Absolutely. had with just, you know, rockets and guerrilla warfare. Absolutely. So yeah, that'll, I hope we don't see that. That A war between those two would be extremely devastating for both Absolutely. sides. Um, but it is it is interesting. I also, I also am curious, you know, um, just from a regional perspective, um, how the conversation is about Iran in Israel right now. And I know they're probably not, maybe they're not talking about Iran right now, but obviously with the new Biden administration coming to office, wanting to re-implement an Iran nuclear deal, um, how is that playing out in Israeli media mm -hmm. and Israeli government official rhetoric? The government is doing anything possible to sabotage those diplomatic, uh, uh, the possibility of another agreement. But I think that uh, on this, the United States and the current administration is very clear. And I think that the Americans uh, are trying, and not only trying, ordering Israel to stop sabotaging it. And I'm sure there will be an agreement. In Israel, uh, the government doesn't like it at all. Other people, uh, like me, I, I think the only way to guarantee our security through agreements. Same with Hamas, same with Hezbollah, same with Iran. That's the only way to guarantee our security. All the other ways are temporary, are fragile, and will never guarantee a real security. Do you think if the U.S. was less involved in the region, it would be better for Israel and Palestine and the rest of the region? I think if the United States would support less Israel, and Israel would have been a bit weaker, we would have faced a more even-handed reality with a more, with a less arrogant Israel, and then things could be much better, sure. And I want to, I do want to go back a little bit, just because I think this is one of the most fascinating aspects of the developments taking place in the last week, um, just as like an outside observer, is these, this, this kind of like protests, these protests of solidarity from these uh, 48 areas, these uh, Palestinian areas, you know, the, um, the, I don't know if this is exaggerating, but the mayor of Lod, had, you know, has been saying 
or has been reported to have said, called what's happening there a civil war. He says Arabs and Jews are shooting at each other. Can you, uh, you know, for people who haven't been paying attention, because a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, story and headlines has been about Gaza. This is a mixed city, uh, not a very, uh, you know, wealthy population. People here are pretty poor, um, both Jews and Arabs, as, as if I understand correctly. Um, and what, st- what started out as, you know, there was solidarity protests from the Palestinians there. You can correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but there was so- solidarity protests uh, on Monday with Jerusalem and a Jewish gunman shot a Palestinian. The Details around that are still being figured out. Um, But at the funeral for this Palestinian who was shot and killed, uh, there was even more protests. And now these two sides in a community that actually live together are, you know, uh, setting fire to each other's property and beating each other up. So can you can you explain what's happening and is it dangerous? Is there no can it escalate? Um, And what does it mean for what's happening inside Israel? Many Israelis are more troubled now from this rather than from uh, Gaza, and maybe rightly so, because this is from inside. That's an inside story. That's a domestic story, which is much more dangerous. You described very fairly a lot, but you didn't mention the past of Lod. Mm-hmm. Which I don't Lod. know, so please, <laughs> yes. In '48, almost all the population of Lod was uh, expelled by force. There was even a massacre in the mosque of Lod. And really only the weak ones stayed in Lod. And they were discriminated ever since then. And they are discriminated until this very moment. And in the recent years, there are also some Orthodox Jews who settled in Lod only to provoke the remains of the Palestinian community in Lod, which is very poor, which is involved in crime, a lot of crime, poverty. And all this exploded now. I'm not sure it was only solidarity with the Palestinians. In many ways, it was also less romantic than this. Mm. It was an explosion of all the social frustrations and the national frustrations. Mm-hmm. about what's going on in Lod itself, even not uh, obviously what happened in, in, the, in the Temple Mountain evoked some, some emotions, but it is also about what's going on on a daily basis in Lod itself, which is uh, an ugly place, I would say, because the Jews there are really uh, tyranning the, the, the remains of this great community who, who is left now with poverty, with ruins, with a lot of neglection, social and economical neglection. All this exploded now. Well, the, yeah, I, I was watching some of the images coming out of there, and it looks like there's these massive riots. Um, and it reminded me of what we saw in the U.S. last summer and some of these um Black communities angry at police violence, poor right. black communities. And there's all that social anger being expressed exactly. in, in riots, basically. But I didn't know about the aspect of the Orthodox. Se- I mean, it sounds like kind of like settlers. Absolutely. Um, settler type same, people. Same back background. Same background. And I had yeah. I had spoken to journalist David Sheen a few days ago, and he had said that this is something that's been happening in recent years or maybe before recent years, where there are these settler organizations trying to 
move these kinds of fanatical types of Orthodox Jews uh, into these neighborhoods where there's still remnants of Palestinian communities that maybe also live in right. mixed areas. Right. So is this this is also happening in Jaffa, Absolutely. In, in Haifa. In um, Akko, in Akka. Yeah, yeah. And, and this it's, is a, it's an this ongoing is provocation. And it's what's the yeah, what's the purpose other than to provoke to purpose drive people is to kick out. them out finally to kick them out sure to where to, to where <laughs> to where they dream about all the Palestinians to Jordan to Iraq to Saudi Arabia wow. away from Israel that's the hidden dream and uh, and you know uh, they know they know that they will not achieve it uh, for sure not uh, very soon right. but they they put the seeds. They put the I mean, seeds in. Also, economical powers are wa- working here. And and in Jaffa, for example, because it became quite a bourgeois for Jews to live in Jaffa, so they buy more and more properties there, and the, the Palestinians are pushed away, even by economical forces, not only political forces. And, and that's a very sad process because... Uh, we had one Nakba, and we don't need another one. <laughs> it's one. It's a good way to put it. Um, so, this is this should be like our last question because I have another? Yes, yes, yes. Of course. I just okay. actually just really quickly. Um, sure. I just wanted to, to ask you to clarify on the point you were just making. Uh, is there state backing for that, or it's just is is there state backing for that process that you're describing from the state, from the Israeli government, or is it just organizations? Like individual organizations trying to push these settlers. For sure, for sure, it's 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 supported by the state. Maybe not initiated by the state, but the state supports any activity which strengthens the Jewish superiority and the Jewish presence in Israel. This is the raison d'être of this Jewish state, as called, to strengthen the Jewish uh, presence everywhere. So for sure it's supported by, by the government in many, many ways. Like the settlements are totally supported by the government. Don't blame the settlers. Blame the government, all the governments of Israel, who stand behind them and support them and finance them. And then I just have one very last concluding sure. question for you, Gideon. Um, and I do thank you for your time. Uh, for the current violence that's taking place, is there any stopping it? Are there any voices in Israel calling for de-escalation at this point? Very, very few. Very, very few. It's always like this in the beginning. If it will get longer, you'll hear more and more protesters. Right now, in the first days, it's always everyone is very, very careful because by the end of the day, the Israeli population is really living under a threat now. It's very uh, hard to, to blame is only Israel for this. Uh, so people are careful, but I'm sure that in a few days, if it will continue, there will be beginnings of protest, but don't expect too much, not from the Jewish community. All right. Well, thank you so much, Gideon Levy, My Israeli pleasure. author and My journalist. Pleasure. We really, really thank appreciate you. you joining us today and everybody for watching. Thank you very much. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.